Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business, I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. It's not an easy road is what it is. It's you have to you have to know deep down that you're going to have either no life for a long time or no money. I had no money for so long. I worked as a waitress like my whole life. Like I had no money for so long. I was working three jobs at one time. When I moved out here, I was under the table babysitting. I worked two catering jobs that were horrendous and another uh, I cleaned Airbnbs. Um, you have to know deep down that you want this so badly and you have to know that you're going to be treated like for a long time and it's going to be so hard um and you have to try as hard as you can you literally like there's no if you're tired one night sorry i'm tired i do like i literally when i moved out here i didn't have a car i would bike to the comedy store to try to get on the, on the thing or the improv i would bike literally 45 minutes to and from knock it on get back on my bike like it was insane you have to work harder than you think you have to work and you have to put in more time than you think you have to and it's it's you have to literally give i gave up everything like i gave up my i left all my friends and family in toronto moved out here i lived on a couch my friend's couch for three months like a slob like you have to literally be able to give up everything you love to follow this psychotic dream Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Hope you're doing well, hope you're having a great new year. I can't think of a better way to start February than with my guest today, an extraordinary actress and comedian, Steph Tolev. So great. I know you're going to like her a lot. Before I get started, I wanted to thank you again so much, sincerely, for all your messages and social media, emails, texts, FedExes. It's been incredible, and I'm, I'm just really grateful for the responses and I'm grateful that this podcast has been helpful to move the rock up the hill without it falling down and crushing you. And if you want to reach me, you can do so at X, Twitter, or Instagram, at Barry Katz, or Facebook, or on my website at BarryKatz.com, or you can watch the TikTok videos. Or if you want to watch this entire interview on video where you can actually see human beings, you can do so at my YouTube channel 
at Barry Katz Entertainment. I'd be remiss if I didn't share some thoughts on my guest today that resonate with me, and I hope they resonate with you. When I think of Steph Tolev, my special guest today, I think of somebody as one of the hardest working people in the business that doesn't follow the norms of how normal business is done. She's a person who wasn't shy about working as many jobs as possible, sometimes as many as three, while simultaneously going to as many comedy clubs as a night. Every night she was out doing stand-up comedy to get better. I remember hearing a story about Kobe Bryant where I saw him interviewed and he confirmed it were kids who he was playing basketball with he used to be so proud that they were practicing three times a day like from 10 to 12 in the morning then they'd have lunch then they'd practice from like four to six at night then they'd have dinner then they'd practice from like eight to ten at night and then they'd go to bed and then they'd start over the next day and he would say they thought that they were doing it they thought they were doing everything they could but i was getting up at 4 30 or 5 in the morning and i was playing basketball from 5 to 7 or to 6 to 8 in the morning then having breakfast then doing the three practices that they were doing and what people don't realize is at the end of four years after all those days probably close to 1500 1600 days i practiced 1600 more practices than they had there's no way they were ever going to be better than me and that's what steph does she out hustles she outworks and she gets it done and she gets it done despite the fact that her comedy is not traditional comedy her comedy isn't the kind of comedy where you plant your feet and you sling the jokes she gives a performance she's blue she sometimes doesn't even have proper premises that you could actually hold on and and look at the lines after them that give you the laugh it's a full presentation from the words to the physical performance to that incredible voice of hers that's so original and when i think of her i think of that hard work and what it takes to be great and all the rejections that have to go along with it in your trajectory to get where you want to go and having to fight through that and getting knocked down time after time after time and coming back and sometimes you never know what's going to happen or how it's going to happen but you're training for that day you're training for that day when something great comes in front of you or an opportunity happens or somebody's in the crowd to watch you or even an instagram post where 
it gets out and the people you want to see it see it and then they believe in you as much as you believe in yourself like Bill Burr did when he saw her and gave her that shot in the arm that she needed that probably he wanted when he was a young artist and he was grateful for when people did it for him and paying it forward and doing things in a way that you're not worried about how you're going to make it or when you're going to make it or how famous you're going to be. All you're worried about is being the best representation of yourself and how great an artist you could be. And the world has a plan. The world listens and the world takes notice. And in Steph's case, the world did. So let me tell you something. If you work harder than everybody else, you keep great relationships, you get up right after you're knocked down and keep moving forward. When somebody believes in you, you deliver for them and you do everything you can to be the best artist you possibly can be by being repetitive over and over again until you get things the way you know they can be, the way you know you're competitive, the way you know that you're going to be in a position to win. And I can guarantee you, if you figure out how to do that, you're going to have the kind of career that Steph Tolev has. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in showbiz and you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Out of the air! Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. And I guess without further ado, I should introduce our guest today in a very non-traditional way. Steph Tolev is an incredible, incredible stand-up comedian. She won the award for the best female stand-up at the 2015 Canadian Comedy Awards. Her 2019 comedy album, I'm Not Well, was nominated for the Juno Award for Comedy Album of the Year at the Juno Awards of 2020. In 2022, she opened up for Bill Burr during his comedy tour and was featured in his Netflix special, Bill Burr Presents Friends Who Kill. Steph was born in Toronto to Bulgarian immigrant parents and is a Canadian comedian and actress. From the age of 3 to 18, she participated in competitive Highland dance and was inspired to perform comedy after playing the role of Nick Bottom in a high school production of Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream. She enrolled in the comedy writing and performing program at Humber College and performed stand-up for the first time at a Scarborough bar at 18 years of age. 
It was in Humber College that she met future sketch comedy collaborator Allison Hogg. After graduating in 2005, Steph and Allison were part of a four-person all-female improv group. In 2009, they formed the sketch comedy duo Lady Stash which won the award for the most innovative comedy troupe at Montreal Sketch Fest and were nominated for Best Sketch Troupe at the 2013 Canadian Comedy Awards. In 2016, Steph moved to Los Angeles, where she released her first stand-up comedy album, Hot and Hungry. And then she released her aforementioned comedy album, I'm Not Well, in 2019 and later became a paid regular at the Comedy Store in 2021. Throughout her career, Steph has always worked incredibly hard at the craft of stand-up, giving everything she had to it. One of the biggest reasons that Steph broke through, despite having three outside jobs while simultaneously working every night in comedy clubs, was the belief of Bill Burr after he saw her perform. He loved what she did. He put her on tours. He put her on television. And that was the impetus for launching her incredible career up to this point. Steph has been incredibly well received at multiple festivals all across the world. And you can catch her in the feature films Drugstore June and Old Dads. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest today. What an honor, Steph Tolev. What an honor. That's a nice intro. What an honor. It is an honor, and I'm going to tell you why it's an honor. Okay. Because I feel uniquely qualified to talk about this is that when an artist breaks through, people are always like, oh, my God, what an overnight sensation. Mm -hmm. And I've done a lot of research on what you've done, and I followed you for a while, even though you don't know I followed you. I'm not, I had no idea. I'm yeah. not a stalker. <laughs> this is news to me. And I just love how hard you've gutted it out. Thank to you. To this point, and I just want you to share with the audience, firstly, like how do you keep going every day knowing that you in certain times of your life like in 2010 you won awards for big accomplishments 2015 16 you're doing it you're you're putting the pieces of the puzzle together mm -hmm. yet it's not happening the mm -hmm. way you want it to happen. And then other people you're working with at comedy clubs, you're seeing them in theaters and you're like, what the fuck is going on? I'm doing yeah, that's exactly, exactly what they're doing. Uh -huh. How do you mentally keep going and say to yourself, hey, I'm not gonna pay any attention to what everybody else is doing. I'm gonna pay attention to what I'm doing. And if I do that, it'll all come to fruition. Um, excuse me. I don't think you can mentally really do that. I think a lot of my drive is from spite, which sounds so psychotic, but I was told no by so many people, especially in Canada, that I was shitty and that I wasn't good enough. And then I was like, no, I'm going to prove it that I am. So I think that like burning spite that I had all these years really helped, but it, it's very hard still to this day to watch like people that like I've been doing it for 20 years. So I don't like some people get overnight, whatever. I literally started my first stand-up set ever. I was 17 years old. 
like a dive bar. I took improv classes when I was 16. Uh, and now I'm like 38 and finally feel like I've kind of not even I've bro I feel like I've kind of broke through but like I feel like you're hyping me up more than what I feel like I've done uh but it was just it's it's still every day's a grind like and people just think that as a stand-up you're just doing nothing like, I have been working all day up to now and I'll be working for the rest of the night and then I have like three shows tonight. like it, it, there's no stopping like all day long you're like editing clips or producing sketches or doing my own podcast like it's insane the amount of time and effort I put into this I feel like there is like it is kind of paying off now but a lot of it is spite and a lot of it is I think you have to be somewhat delusional I think there's like a bit of me that's like huh and now that once you once you get like the first big thing I got was like just for laughs I was like oh I hit this milestone and that actually worked that happened so like once you keep hitting and then once Bill got me on Netflix I was like oh shit I actually got to this next so I, every time I keep like hitting the goal I want I'm like oh I think I'm doing this so I think that like I feel like if I didn't have any of these big milestones I would have felt like I probably would have quit by now now the bill that she's referring to is it's Bill Burr yeah I said it so casually Bill Burr who um, I feel like has fast-tracked my career quite rapidly because I was still doing I was still headlining I was a touring headliner but uh, Bill Burr put me on his uh, friends who kill Netflix special and then that I was kind of a standout on that and then that kind of more clubs that weren't booking me before were like oh bill likes her now i like her and it's annoying that that's how because i was like i've been the same funny for a long time it's not like i just got funny like five years ago like i've been i've been who i am i've known my voice for at least 15 years now like i know who i am obviously you get better as a comic especially to stand up but i've known who i was for a very long time and that's an important thing that you mentioned is that every single person who's listening to this who is an artist or who isn't an artist the people that you see on a special, they were that funny a year ago mm. or two years ago before you didn't see them on the special. Well, Just now knows. I feel like now there's a little bit of a change in the specials we're seeing. I feel like now a lot of places are leaning towards more people with bigger social media followings than people who I think deserve special. I'm not gonna say any names, but I think personally there's a lot of people I that are getting- I think you can look it up. I think you can look it up, but I think there's a lot of people that are getting specials right now that I'm like, either aren't ready for their specials, like they're not like fucking killers in the clubs. Like I think people who should be getting these opportunities are like annihilators and no one can follow them in the clubs. And then a lot of people, it's like, who? Like I see Netflix specials come up and I go, who's that person never seen them at a club never seen them at a new york club not an la club and i look at their instagram like oh they have one million followers because they got big on tiktok or whatever and it's like they some of them have put the grind in i will say but like some i'm like this person's been doing stand-up for six years like I, it's those don't seem fair but i think in the long run someone told me a long time ago like those people aren't gonna last and you can't last if you're not funny you can have this like shining moment where you're like, but I know a lot of, I know, cause I talked to a lot of clubs cause a lot of the TikTok people go and do like one night only. And then their fans leave going, what the hell did I just watch? I'm like, yeah, you're not seeing an hour of good comedy. You're seeing maybe 15 minutes of good comedy. And then they're filling it with like TikTok sounds or like weird crowd work. They don't know what they're doing. Cause they're not prepared to be in this spotlight. Well, you said something. It sounds bitter, but it is a little bit bitter. Yes. No, I don't. I don't think it's bitter. It's factual. Yes. Well, before I ask you the question, I wanted to ask you. Uh -huh. I believe stand-up comedy is like Olympic diving. I'll explain. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, an Olympic diver 
has a degree of difficulty for certain moves. They get more points and more respect from the judges when they do something that's more difficult. Mm -hmm. And the divers that are phenomenal, but they don't have a great degree of difficulty, they get graded lower and they get more, they get less respect by the judges. Okay. Okay. So as you know, there's people out there that don't kill as hard as you, but you might say, holy shit, that premise about the concentration camp and the non-Jews in the concentration camp, I got to give that a great degree of difficulty. Mm -hmm. That bit, it's possible that doesn't get the audience response that this person's bit gets, whatever. And that's why that person will get more respect in the comedy yeah. world than the other. The premise is the almighty thing in comedy. Now, for you, what's fascinating, and you're one of the people that violates a lot of these rules, is that you don't have to always have an extraordinary premise. No, I absolutely, I do not. If you're watching my comedy right now, going, what the hell is this? Yeah, and no, no, that's no. why you break the rules mm -hmm. and you're like an anomaly because you're a character of the game, mm -hmm. okay? People come to see you for two reasons. About my estimation, you can tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> I want to hear what these. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, when you go see John Mulaney, you can go see John Mulaney and be a blind person and feel like you've got as much out of John mm -hmm. Mulaney as not because he is a guy who plants his feet and he delivers the premises and the lines. He's not a guy who is acting mm -hmm. out a tremendous amount of things. Mm -hmm. But you're a person who the visuals come along with the comedy. Yes. And it's necessary to really enjoy you fully by having sight because yeah. there's something about you that's this wonderful, it's almost like you're, I hope you don't mind me saying this. Um, I'm scared. <laughs> you're the closest comedian I know to Brad Williams. I've uh, never gotten that before. And I'm gonna tell you, I'm, I'm gonna tell you <laughs> why. Like Chris Farley, I was like, I've I'm, gotten I'm that. I'm gonna yes. tell you why. Because uh -huh. Brad Williams is like a cartoon character. He can say and do anything he wants, and he's going to kill because he can get away with it. He's like, you're looking at somebody who is just person who is not larger than life, but mm -hmm. larger than life. And he's saying things and doing things about his situation and his lenses on the world. Mm -hmm. And you have this way about you that's like this cartoon character where you accentuate all the things that maybe other people said no to you about. Mm -hmm. And you make them your strengths. And it feels like I'm watching an animated character who can get away with anything. Well, <laughs> I feel like, okay. I, yes, I, do, I think Brad gets away with way more than I do. That's for damn sure. I feel like I, I say a lot of things that people don't love. Uh, I don't know if it's coming from the female comic perspective or whatever it is, but I feel like I can I can lose a room quicker than Brad can. That's for damn sure. But yeah, I don't, I don't think I have a lot of um, blind fans. 
<laughs> I definitely think I think I, I think hearing impaired people can, and like it's funny actually a guy came to a show of mine recently in Orlando and he was like a big fan he f- said he flew in from somewhere and then I met him in, in the mean green line after and he spoke like very little English and I was like oh shit this guy like finds me funny and I think 90% based on my act outs like I'm sure he he knows some things I'm saying I'm not saying he doesn't like he knows I think English is a second language but I'm like I think majority of my comedy for him was just sight just him seeing my my act outs or whatever the hell I was doing up there. The second time I saw you was on video, and I, I'm sorry, I can't remember which thing it was. There's a million, a yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before there were a million. Okay. Okay, it probably wasn't just for laughs then. Uh-huh. But I'd seen you somewhere in some venue. I don't I don't remember because I'm I'm old. Mm-hmm. I thought to myself, when I do see this videotape. I'm going to do what I love to do. I'm going to watch the first two or three minutes without the sound on and see if I laugh. That's what you do for. Oh, yeah. That's bizarre. Oh, yeah. I have to watch it with the sound off. And then if I if I really laugh, I'm like, this is okay. This is something special. Is that how you pick people to manage? Is that what you do with them first? Sometimes. Wow. That's an that's an interesting take. Because I feel like comedy, historically, just for the audience in comedy, and you may know this or you may not know this, the first comedy album to break through was in 1959. It was Bob Newhart's Button Down Mind. And what happened is they asked him to do a uh, an album, and he had just been a sketch person like you were mm-hmm. with um, your lady staff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so he was like, I'm, I'm, I just do uh, sketches. I don't yeah, go to a club, Bob, to do some of your bits. And he recorded it, sent it to them. And they gave him a call like after it launched about three months later, you have the number one record in America, not oh the number God. one comedy record, the number one album in America. It was, it was Warner Brother oh, Records wow. first gold record ever. And so the medium used to be and even up until about five or ten years ago the medium used to be it's an audio medium and people love to listen to the audio Mm -hmm. podcast or audio medium but now stand-up has become more of a visual meeting and mm-hmm. that medium and that's why it's exploding so much is because people want to see the larger than life characters of the game mm-hmm. and if you think about the characters of the game that are at the top of comedy right now they're all larger than life. now let me rephrase most of them are larger <laughs> exactly. than life yeah, yeah, yeah. characters yeah uh, and 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 they're characters who have a story mm-hmm. of of overcoming adversity, and uh, and that's where you fit. And you said something earlier that I want to go back to. You said I did Bill's uh, thing, and uh, and with a bunch of people, and I stood out. You want to stop there? Yeah. You stood out. So a lot of people do Bill Burr compilation shows. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't break through. So I just want to share with you. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you do an hour. Hey, I got an hour special. Yeah. I could list a lot of hour specials where you don't even know the people or they're not even, they're working at Taha's Chuckle Hut yeah. in Peoria, <laughs> Illinois. Yeah. Okay. You have to have the content and the, the whole package mm-hmm. that makes people want to buy tickets to see you a hard ticket to see you yeah and that's a lot of money and and it's just to see you I, I know it might not seem like a lot of money even if they can see you for let's say they could go on an off night let's say at a comedy club 
ask in Irvine or whatever, it's mm -hmm. still going to be $25. And then their date. Then the drinks. And then the yeah, drinks. Yeah, yeah. And then the parking and the valet. Mm -hmm. And and maybe you go out to eat there and it's still going to be like $150. And if you're somebody who's a working class person mm -hmm. who's really gutting it out, that it, it has lot, to be yeah. a special event. And yeah, so yeah. when people come to see you, they have to really want to come to see you. And, and that's right. why what you're doing, uh, I think uh, I give a lot of respect for because mm -hmm. people are paying money to see you. And then when you start doing more television and more film, then your brand has to get them to cross over and pay for the $17.99 a month for Amazon Plus or wherever your show is on. If it's on yeah, free yeah, television, yeah. they don't yeah, have to yeah. pay. And then when you do movies, they have to go to the theater and pay. Mm -hmm. It all ties together. When you do your first book, oh, yeah, uh, they're going to pay stuff. for that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so your audience, your diehard fans, mm -hmm. in order to be in your life, they have to spend money however why, why social media is so much of a key and uh for some people let's uh, it's a, more of a key than others yes but it helps your fans get more added value so when they do mm -hmm. come to see you they know they've, they've gotten a lot of you for free before that yeah and you've you've given them little gifts along the way to say here i thank you for being my fan yeah here's something free for you can yeah. you imagine like in the old days of when people were like there were so very few performers let's say sinatra can you imagine sinatra just going before he went on at the sands hotel hey everybody i'm about to go on at the sands oh, hotel yeah, and uh so crazy thanks for following me and uh i'll see you tell later. your friends yeah 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 it's it is we've we've come into a completely different uh era of comedy now but I, I guess i never really thought about people paying all that money and stuff but i feel like i post a lot of content i think that's another reason why the, i kind of stood out on bill's thing because when people went to look me up they're like who the fuck the people who didn't know who i was were like who the fuck is this person and then went to my social media were like oh she has nothing but content like i had four albums out two sketch two stand up i had like a half hour special out i had like a million clips to watch so it's like they were getting a lot of stuff and i like i post i post like five or six clips a week which is crazy and this is another thing this is, crazy. For, this is another thing for all the artists listening i don't want to embarrass you but steph was training for that day she was training for the day when that happened so she was ready and she had everything ready mm -hmm. a lot of artists don't train to have mm -hmm. everything ready for when that call comes or that break comes or that spotlight comes on. Yeah. But you were training every day for so 20, that when it, gosh, for, yeah, for 20 years. years. Yeah, yeah. So when the audience came, mm -hmm. you were ready. Uh, all the artists out there are probably like, holy crap, I'm not doing that as much as I could do. Yeah, it's And it's so then when right. the spotlight does come on, you're not ready and you're going to fade away if you don't mm -hmm. do it. It was it was funny cuz a lot of people there's a couple of club owners, I'm not going to say who, one specifically they'll never do his club. But I saw him at the comedy store and he's like, "Oh, you're that girl from that that Bill Burr thing." I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "What do you got? 20 minutes, 30?" And I was saying with Jeff Ross and he was like, "No, she's a headliner." And he's like, "35, 40." And I was like, I have like three fucking hours. What do you want from me right now? 
Oh my, I have two full albums out. I, and plus I'm working on the road every fucking weekend. I was like, it was so, it was so degrading to you. I was like, I'll tell you who it is afterwards, but <laughs> I was like, I'll never do your club. You're such a piece of shit. Like, oh, I, 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 I hate with just underestimating somebody so easily too, where it's like, I'm ready. Like I'm, I'm a regular at the store. I don't have five minutes. And the thing about what you said, and this is a lesson to be learned on the other side, as well as our side and your side, is even if you're underestimating anybody, act like you're talking to the Queen of England mm -hmm. or Barack Obama or whoever you respect, whoever it might be in your life you respect. Act like you're speaking in a public restroom and you mm -hmm. don't know who's underneath the stalls. If I were to doubt you and I were to have those feelings about you, how does it serve me to say them out loud? Mm -hmm. It serves me to keep them inside in case you prove me wrong. And when you mm -hmm. prove me wrong, I'm still in good standing. Yeah. I don't understand what anybody does or why they do that. No, it's especially it's like we all talk. Comedians all talk. We know the shitty club owners. We know the shitty bookers. Like, so this guy, I've talked so much shit about him to all my other friends. I don't know anybody who works at his club now. Not just because of me, but like, I, there's been other things. But I was like, it's really bizarre. And I, that's one thing that when I mentioned how I like have used my spite all these years, two big bookers in Canada were super, super awful to me and bluntly told me I was shit. And I was like, you, uh, how dare you? You don't know who, and also I was like just new and up and coming at the time, but it's also like they had no female headliners, like four, one had two, it was like nothing. And I was like, just this automatic hate towards women and hate towards someone you don't even know. Like I don't, I, any comic I've ever met, I've never been, I've never talked rude to anybody unless I heard that they like talk shit about me or something like that. I have no, you don't know anybody. You don't know what their life is. You don't know what their day was like. It's just a really bizarre thing to come out and just immediately yeah. shit on somebody especially in this business there's so many comics who I, I refuse to work with now because I heard like horrible things about them they did to other people like everyone talks and it's just so easy to be nice until you've been treated like shit. it's very it's very bizarre especially like in this business like every, every word gets around and any creepy agent any perv man any like rude woman for no reason like everyone fucking talks so. I'm glad I made the cut yeah <laughs> Hey everybody, I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. One of the greatest things that I see in comedy uh, that I love, and, and I, I hope he'll take this to right. I hope he takes it. I'm sure he will. Shane Gillis. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
the guy got one of the greatest jobs in television history, you know, been mm -hmm. on for 50 years, Saturday Night Live. They find something that he says or writes or whatever you want to say. Mm -hmm. Canceled, Lorne, NBC. They take him out of Saturday Night Live before he even gets a chance to fulfill the dream job. Mm -hmm. And he sort of does what you do, where you take the angst of people doing something to take you down, and he rises from the f***ing ashes, and he creates this amazing brand, and he's no less funny than he ever was. No, he's killing it. But he's crushing it based on getting crushed like a bug. I think he'd, I think but, he's doing better. But if you were the president of comedy, what punishment would you give? I wouldn't have given Shane one. Okay. You say something in the moment, you say something off color, you say something, you know what I mean? That people be searching my history. Uh, I, I feel like that was like, and also when they do that, they take it so out of context. I'm not saying what he said was right, but I'm saying they take it out of context and they blow it up like he's this racist guy, which he's not at all. And Jane's fucking hilarious. I, I think Jane's doing better now than if he was on SNL. Exactly. But I don't think, yeah, I think there's a And you're different... doing better now than if everyone through your life said, hey, Steph, mm -hmm. we love you. We want you to work all of our clubs. <laughs> yeah, We've yeah, always yeah. loved you. <laughs> and you're fantastic. And if mm -hmm. all through your life you heard that, I guarantee you, you wouldn't be as funny as you are. There's right no now. way. No, there's no way. So you should send these people fruit baskets. I really should. <clears throat> I honestly I honestly thanked them both when I got past it, uh, this store. I didn't say their names exactly, but I was like, you know who you are. I'm like, thank you so much for saying I was shit because I wouldn't have made it this far. I wouldn't have moved to LA. I wouldn't have like tried as hard as I did. I think I would have still tried, but I think I really pushed it. You know, when people are saying you're not good enough to your face. <laughs> I want you to know, I love this conversation. I really do. Sincerely, <laughs> okay, I okay. really, I really love this. Good. And, uh, We'll see if your listeners do. I'm gonna re I'm gonna remember this day. Oh, good. Okay, good, good, good. So good, I want to go way back. Way take back. Take me back to where you grew up, the socioeconomic dynamic, and what was your first inspiration for getting into this crazy f***ed up business? Oh God, I born and raised in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, in like a. East York, it was called. It's like a small borough of Toronto with two parents who were like hardworking, independent, like middle class Canadian parents. Um, and I, my mom's a Highland dancing teacher, Scottish dancing, kills some bagpipes. So I was forced to Highland dance. No one's Scottish, my family, I'm Bulgarian. Forced to Highland dance at the age of three to 18. So my entire childhood was competitively Highland dancing, traveling. But you were, but you were working in front of live audiences. All the time. So I was constantly performing. Like some audiences were like 800 people, some were like 100, like some smaller. I would go entertain, like, I don't know if you know Robbie Burns. Uh, I don't know of okay, Robbie. Okay, but he's like a famous Scottish poet. So every January we'd have to go to these like legion halls and perform in front of all these disgusting drunk pigs. Um, <laughs> but I, I was performing at a very young age. So I, I think that being on stage all the time and being super physical helped me. Uh, and then in high school, I realized I wanted to get into acting. And I think like grade eight, grade nine, I thought, I was like, oh, I want to be, I want to be an actress. I want to be a comedic actress. So my dream for a long time was SNL. 
so another another big no as a canadian i've never once got um a live audition for snl and i just stopped submitting this is the first year i didn't submit in 20 years because i was like i feel like I feel like I should have got one live audition at this point. I you know, I started in sketch, I started in improv, and then I was like, not one live audition. I see some of the people that audition. How could I not? How could I not get one? Um, so that I, I gave up on that quite quite rapidly. It is incredible, like. Uh, and don't lose your place uh, for those listening when you are uh, want to get something and you want to be submitted to something this is the hardest part about our business is the fact that there might be one or two or three decision makers mm -hmm. and they just might not see what the rest of the world sees mm -hmm. and but they're the gatekeeper and it's their show and they created it or they executive produced it and they have the right to want you or not want you but it's it's not understandable why all the time yes and, and the reason with snl it just bums me out is because lauren's canadian and there's been so few canadians on that show so few so i'm like i don't know what does he hate his own people does he he hates us what the heck um but yeah, I, I, that, so that was like a huge dream. But I, like now that I'm like doing so much stand up and touring, I'm like, I think I'm doing better now than I, I think, I, I think I found my lane. I think stand up makes sense to me. I, I don't know if I could be living in New York in a small shoebox. I have a golden retriever and I love her so much and we hike all the time. And I would, I like my life now. My life is going in the direction that I want it and I'm working towards like a special myself and stuff. But yeah, I started in high school. I wanted to be uh, a comedic actress and then. I applied to all these uh, acting schools in Toronto and I got told no on all, all of them. Uh, and then I went, there's a comedy program in um, Toronto called the Humber College Comedy Writing and Performance Program. It's a two year program and I did that. And it's pretty much, I was just high as hell for two years. <laughs> What's the first time you went on stage? I know you did a lot of improv uh, and you started uh, with Allison Hogg, is yep. that, mm -hmm. yeah, who's fantastic. She's very great. Um, and I, I also wanted to share with you that it's and share with the audience and have you share how difficult it is when you are in a partnership with somebody and you do extraordinary things with somebody but you feel like you have to move forward in a different way and sort of, I don't want to say leave them behind, but they are sort of left behind when you decide to take another trajectory. So how psychologically do you handle that? It, well, it wasn't that, it wasn't, I think if I stayed in Toronto, it would have felt like that, but she knew I always wanted to move to LA and she knew that I was getting way more into stand up and I was getting paid to do it because sketch comedy does not pay. And we were like a sketch duo. So we would just, we did, we did like a, but we did the French festival. We broke even, which was crazy good for us. We did like a, the Edinburgh French. Yeah. Edinburgh French. We did the San Francisco sketch fest, Chicago sketch fest. And then we, we did, a, you get paid no, nothing on these, and which is fine. We had fun, but I think she wanted to have like a family and you know, she got married and she like got pregnant. I think she wanted that trajectory of being a mom. And I was like, ah, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't think I need to do that. I want to, I was like, I want, I want my career before I want a family. Got it. And so, but I feel like we're still working on something together right now. We're working on a TV show right now together in Canada. Good. Um, and she wrote for like this hour is 22 minutes and the Baron von S. Baron S. Von Sketch show. So she's been doing stuff still. Not as much as I've been doing, but she's still like 
doing well for somebody who's and so you did a lot of sketch but there comes a moment where you say i'm going to go on alone so what year was the first year you went on a stage alone doing your own material? Oh, I, I started uh, early. I, I think I was 17 and I'm a first stand-up. So set. before you did the sketch, yeah. you did that alone. And then you took a break from the stand-up with the sketch? Yeah, right after the uh, Humber comedy program thing, Allison started a sketch troupe with four women. Sorry, an improv troupe with four of us. We were called the Dumb with a K. No one liked that name, uh, obviously. And then uh, two of them kind of filtered out, and then Alice and I just started doing Just Sketch. But I, I, I'd always been dabbling in stand-up throughout that whole thing. I think around 27, I got way more into stand-up because I got my first um, festival, which is the Halifax Comedy Festival. It was the first time I did like a TV taping that I bombed horribly because it was on CBC and I was allowed to swear. And I mean, it was like, oh, fuck. And then I was like, shit. Oh, fucking shit. And then like the crowd was laughing, but then they had to cut like my entire I think one of my jokes had eight minutes made it because I kept freaking out and like swearing during it. It's very, half the sets in Canada, they're like, that'd be squeaky clean. You can't like, bleep them? No, no bleeping is allowed. I was like, they're like, you can't swear, it has to be PG. I'm like, then don't book me. I don't know what to tell you. Don't, don't book me then because I'm not PG and I don't want to be PG. I can be, I just prefer not to be. I don't find it funny. <laughs> can we Sorry. talk about that for a second? <laughs> sure. Can I go toe-to-toe with you on something? Uh-huh. You've never found a comedian who doesn't swear funny? Uh, no, so I think I found, I found Seinfeld a bit funny sometimes. Um, and then I really like Sebastian Maniscalco. But that's just like as clean as I'd go. So you do see how, like, this is what I was talking about early on. Like, I... One of the things that I love about you is that you aren't clean. That you <laughs> are. That you are. Uh, I'll just say R-rated. I'm definitely R-rated. I'm raunchy. I'm gross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I love that about you. But you, I think, acknowledge the fact that it's harder to get the big laugh without bringing a little bit of raunch into it. Or do you disagree with that? I, I honestly think I have just, I don't think when I'm on stage, like my crowd work is even dirty because I, I, I'm normally like a pervert. Like I'm always thinking like this. It's not like I go on stage and I'm like dirty all of a sudden. Like I'm usually disgusting. Like I've just had my tits before I walked in here to some guy. Like I'm, I'm always being perverted. Like it's not like this, like, and that's why I feel like with clean comics, sometimes you watch them and I'm like, is that how you are off stage? That's why some comics, I feel like when I see them on stage, like really like Bill, Bill doesn't fuck himself on and off stage. Same comics, same guy, Shane Gillis. Same, you know what I mean? You can tell you watch me and like, that's who they are. I feel I have more of a connection when I see people who are actually like, it's like a natural version of themselves on stage. Brad Williams, for example, like he's the same on and off. Adam Ray, like all these guys are like Whitney Cummings. Like all these people are very, you know what I mean? It's, you see them on and off. It's like, oh, that's how they talk. They're swearing occasionally. They're still kind of like saying kind of R-rated stuff. It's, it's when the comics are like, what's his name? There's like the cranberry stuff. What's his? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going What's blind. his damn name? What, but I'm like, there's no way that guy gets off stage and he's squeaky fucking clean. There's no way. I don't, I don't believe that these guys are walking around saying, darn it, all the time. I don't believe that. So it's, I, I think I, I just resonate more when I think people are acting natural on stage. And it's easier to watch and it's more enjoyable for me. I'm like, oh, I'm getting to know this person at the same time as they're making me laugh. Instead of just like watching someone do an act that feels like it's overwritten or tailoring to one, you know, 
tell me a comedian who's no longer with us that is the closest in tone to you and how you perform. I'll tell you who I think. I was going to say Chris Farley. That's why. That's why I can compare it to the most. He wasn't stand up, but like sketch wise, like when I watch him perform, that's how I. When I did sketch, like I was always falling on the ground or like doing crazy act outs or like you know what I mean. See, I see your stand up comedy closer to you. Probably won't even remember this person. Who is it? Toady Fields. I have no idea who that is. You're gonna have to look her up. I have no clue. Okay, I wasn't as physical as you but was outrageous and wasn't afraid to mix it up. Okay. I get Sam Kinison a lot, which I feel like is a kind not, yeah. Someone said AJ's Clay recently, and I saw AJ's Clay recently, and I was like, maybe the character kind of aspect, but I'm like, I don't think me and Dice are similar at all. You know, Andrew, uh, believe it or not, I was in the front row when he had his first break at the HBO Young Comedian Special with Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, wow. And so I was there when he did that first set. And, you know, again, but that's a character. Mm -hmm. And how many character comedians, his name's Andrew Silverstein. So it's like, so how many character Mm. comedians do you like? Comedians who, who do a character who aren't real, but they channel something through that character and they do it on stage. I say this a lot and people think I'm crazy, but I didn't watch a lot of stand-up growing up. I watched a lot of kids in the hall. I watched a lot of British TV shows. I watched Keep Up Appearances, one of my favorite shows. I don't know if you've watched that ever. Um, Faulty Towers. And I love Mr. Bean. I love Mr. Bean. He's like, that's me. And I know it's not stand-up, but like, that's the... Well, here's what we talked about. You can't be blind and watch Mr. Bean. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. No words. No words. Very over the top. You you, you made fun of me when I say, look at things without the sound. No, I mean... Watch Mr. Bean without the sound. (laughs) I didn't think that. Yeah, yeah. No, he's got some grunts and the music... And that, that car that always goes off the road, you hear it swerving. The three the three wheels. That's car. what makes you laugh. Yes. Very stupid All stuff right, makes okay. me laugh. Very dumb stuff. All right, I got you. I got you. Yeah, I watch a lot of cartoons, I watch a lot of stupid shit. I watch the same shows over and over. Gotcha. What is the thing that means the most to you in your personal life and what means the most to you in your entertainment life? Um, most important thing if you if the number one principle or mission statement of your life in personally and in the comedy world i think being um a very open and honest woman i have a lot of women dm me stuff that may really changes my opinion on stuff like the first time i started like really joking about having a big vagina which sounds so stupid I talk about having a big labia. A girl came up to me after a show. It's like this laugh, this lab in the Hollywood Improv, and she's like, "Hey, I just want to let you know, I have a very large labia, and I've been so self-conscious about it my whole life, and you just made me feel like completely different." I was like, "So I think me being my honest, truthful self on stage and off, I just feel like that's having some kind of an impact on myself, and I feel like good being like this, and I feel like I actually am helping people. Like I get, I get several DMs of women saying they like look up to me, or they're like they like the way I." Talk talk and they like relate to it and it helps them feel better with themselves so i think that might be the most important thing right now that i'm like actually getting some sort of message across even i'm just up there screaming about having a huge pussy on stage but i feel like i'm doing it in a way that some people relate and some people find funny some 
do not. Now, I'm going to stop you before you answer the next part of it because I'm going to let your comedy mind go to work because I'm not going to say it because I'll be in comedy jail. Pretend you're a male comedian and take that premise and what would you say? Oh, God. What would you say next about that premise you just said? What would, can, oh. you, can you imagine a guy and just... I don't know. A guy's doing... Can you imagine a guy doing a joke on stage? I have a big uh, whatever. I have a big dick, and yeah. And guys are coming up afterwards. Hey, listen, I have to tell you this. I, this means a lot to me. Yeah, no man. Is, yeah. And guys it, already do that, but I feel like it's over-exaggerated or... Without you, I, you feel <laughs> emotional support because I, I have a big... Yeah, my dick is so big I need to fucking talk about it. No. <laughs> <laughs> no man is ever going to say that. Women like get shamed on their body and all this stuff. So I feel like I'm like helping women with their body images. And no, you are. You in, are. in whatever sick way I am. I feel like that's, yeah. And in my personal life, I feel like... I don't know. I've never really thought about my personal life. I just, I feel like I'm just doing something that makes me feel good about myself. And so, I feel like. So you don't think about your personal life? Not that much. I'm really focused on my career. It's actually quite insane. So out of 100% pie of your waking hours, how much is spent not thinking <laughs> or dealing with your career and enjoying your personal life? <laughs> A seven percent. Wow! I literally wake up at seven a.m. every morning and I start working. The only time I have to myself is like if I go to the gym or if I walk my dog, and I'm still usually on my phone sending emails doing shit. like I really. The last I have not gone on a vacation in fifteen years that didn't have to do with comedy. I don't do anything. My sister's wedding, but then I had to emcee the wedding and deal with like family shit. So I still don't consider that. I, and then I got a crazy sun rash. I'm allergic to the sun. It's a whole other thing. But I'm like, I really haven't had like time to myself to do anything really fun or personal. It's crazy. And then I deal with horrendous men in Los Angeles because it's the worst city in the planet to date in. Um, so that I don't even like give myself the opportunity to do personal stuff anymore because I just get too pissed off about it. And I'm like, it puts me in bad mood and it like, gets me not in the mood to do comedy. So I literally just do comedy. I literally do shows almost, I take Sunday nights off, but then I usually go live on TikTok to like try to help with ticket sales or try to get people to follow my Instagram because apparently that's where you need the followers now. So I'm like, I literally work all the time. I feel crazy. I don't sleep at night either. My mind races all night. That's why I'm chugging Red Bull right now because I'm like, I'm not going to sleep ever again. Yeah, it's crazy. I think, you know, just from my perspective, if I'm allowed to say. If you're allowed, let's hear it. I would love you to try this on for just, you know, whatever. Think of, you know, two days of the year when the world is the most shut down you know, everywhere, you know, there out of 365 days in the entertainment world and whatever, there's normally three days in a row somewhere where nothing's really mm -hmm. going to hurt you. Christmas. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I would like you to try this on and just if you would, because I think, you know, everybody needs to press the reset button. Mm -hmm. So you know i went away during the uh labor day weekend which is a big weekend for comedians mm -hmm. i know that but mm -hmm. for the entertainment business it's, it's nothing not. yeah yeah and i lost my phone and instead of trying to get my phone i just said F it. i'm i'm this is useless i'm just i want to just see what life is like mm -hmm. and yeah people were upset or whatever but it's like hey and i had my time to, to reset mm -hmm. and it was really good for me and i think it's possible. It's yes. po if, you, if you take the possibility, it's possible that if you travel to a beach somewhere not without sun, yeah, or somewhere without sun, sun yeah, yeah, yeah. and just and just 
looked at some of the ocean or looked at a city mm -hmm. that you wanted to see. Or oh, I want to do this. This is not like I don't want to do this. No, but look, if you want to go to your car and drive off, you're going to go to your car and drive off. If you want to take that break, mm -hmm. you take it. And you're a really, really goal and oriented person. Mm -hmm. And you, this is why I love sitting across from you because when you say you're going to do something, you make it happen. Mm -hmm. So when you sit across from me and say, yeah, I want to make it happen. No, you don't. If you want to make it happen, you'll make it happen. And so I'm just yes. suggesting try yes, it yes, on yes. that it might be it might be really great for you to be even a better artist than you are now, if that's possible. I Yeah, I, I the issue is when you're, you know, I'm booked on the road every weekend, so I can't even think about it until... April. This is the next time I can think about it. So I will. I'm planning like a big, like a week long thing. Good. But it's not going to be for a while. Good. One. Two. Three. Four. Five. Six. degrees of separation. Six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention yes. some names. Uh huh. And you tell me what comes to mind. Okay. Bill Burr. My best friend who's changed my career. Yes. We, he, Bill wrote me in his movie that's coming out that I don't think I'm allowed to talk about because it's right. But um, yeah, Bill's been very nice to me, very kind to me. Where did he first meet you? He, we did a show together, but I, th I think he forgot about it. The Comedy Central, uh, uh, what was it? Comedy Central, The Ringers. Uh, that was right before COVID and I looked different and I like I've lost like 30 pounds since then and I didn't have bangs or the mullet and it was like a whole other thing um, but he saw me uh, clip on Instagram this one I made fun of New York and he like was like who is this and then he DM'd me and asked me to open from his stuff and then yeah, now he did my podcast I opened from him a couple times I'm in his movie I'm in something else if it's coming out my Netflix special Norm McDonald. Norman Dahl, I think, is a comic that I haven't listened to enough. I know he's Canadian, and I, I've i seen, like, snippets, and I've just weirdly been getting on, like, a old SNL TikTok kick where his stuff keeps coming out. So I think I need to do, like, a deep dive and, like, do some much more research and watching on him. Jimmy Carr. I don't know much about Jimmy Carr. I know that he went on before me on the Billboard thing, and he was super nice backstage. It's really nice when you meet uh, big celebs and they treat you like a normal person. And he was one of those people. But I also find him funny. But I haven't. Again, I don't watch a lot of stand up, so I don't like. I don't have. That's okay. Yeah. I'm still gonna mention stand ups because yeah, I know, I know. I know you've seen I know. clips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen clips, but I'm like, yeah, I like Jimmy. I think Jimmy's very funny. People you work with in the clubs, I'm going to mention some of those people mm -hmm. and uh, and tell me what it's like working with them. Ali Wong. I haven't worked with her much, but she's been very nice. And like, yeah, we I think we were never on around the similar time. So I've never had to like bring her up or she's had to bring me up or anything yet. Uh, yeah. We and then I'm going to just ask you a few more and I'll because I think it's valid because you go a lot of people don't realize that Steph as a headliner, she she doesn't see other headliners do headliner sets mm -hmm. ever, you know, unless she watches their special, which a lot of comedians don't want to watch another comedian special. Mm -hmm. And so if she does see them, she sees them at the, the comedy store or the improv or whatever. Mm -hmm. And she's working on the same show as them, but they're doing a little bit here and there. But I think it's valid to mention them uh, yeah. as well. So uh, and, and, and your thought process on them, not maybe not just as a comic, but as you see them, how they've 
how they built their brand and what they've done to make things right. Um, like you talked about Louis C.K., you talked about Bill. Mm -hmm. Have you ever worked with Chappelle on a show? No, I've never crossed paths. I think I saw him in the hallway once and I nodded at him. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I don't. Do you watch certain comedians? Like I remember when I was representing Dave, there was this amazing thing that happened where I took him to see a show in Washington Square Park where the comedian that I represented, the greatest street performer of all time, Charlie Barnett. And I remember he was very upset at me that I, I took him to see him because Charlie did like a four hour show in the fountain, the dry fountain of Washington Square mm -hmm. Park, 300 people and killed. And he, without going into great detail, it was the only time I ever saw him mad at me. And he said, why the f did you take me to see that person? Why do I have to see that? I said, what are you talking about? He said, I'm never going to be that funny. Don't ever do that to me again. I said, well, we have a little bit of a problem. He said, what's the problem? I said, you're going on after him tonight at the Boston Comedy Club. <laughs> and he was fighting whatever, but he went on. Charlie got a standing ovation. Mm -hmm. Dave went on after him with his energy, got a standing ovation. Charlie was like you to the 10th power. I gotta see this guy. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And the next day, Charlie was like a, a really troubled guy, had struggled with drugs, and but you never saw him do anything. The next day I go to my office and he's sleeping under the desk of the assistant office in my office. And I'm like, Charlie, what are you doing here? He said, listen, who is that kid that went on after me the other night at Boston? I said, that's Dave Chappelle. He said, yeah, let me see a videotape of him. I said, Charlie, it's like nine in the morning. Let me see it. I played it for him. And he was upset at me. He said, why'd you show that to me, man? I'm never going to be as funny as that guy. He knows how to embrace the silence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can't embrace the silence. I have to keep going, going, because I don't trust my material. He trusts his material. And so it's fascinating when I hear you talk about the other comedians of what your perception is of them. Mm -hmm. So I'll mention some other people. Tony Hinchcliffe. <laughs> Again, you're mentioning people that I don't really see a lot of. Like I've seen him in in Austin, and I I've never I never watched Kill Tony, Got it. and I never really like Andrew Santino is one I will say Andrew Santino I he's one of my favorite comics you know how to watch. He's such a genuinely nice, funny guy in person. He's worked so hard. Every time I see him, he's working on a new bit, and like he's the kind of person too. He'll embrace if a bit's not going well, and then he'll immediately get the crowd back. Like his confidence on stage is like kind of unmatched right now. He's so smooth at transition and he's just so likable and he's just like he's uh, he's really and I, had, I had to follow him the other day at the improv and I was like super nervous like I don't get them that nervous following people he's one of them I'm like Fuck, I don't want to I need to be as like good or bad because he was the sort too like because I'm not as a recognized celebrity as everybody else it goes up I get I sometimes go up and people are like what like, who is this person I have to be like I am funny give me five minutes and you'll like me like Bobby Lee crushes it's hard to follow Whitney Cummings because she's also Whitney Cummings is an incredible person to watch she is the way her mind works I wrote for her um, roast battle that's on OnlyFans she is like she doesn't stop her joke mind does not like she was like she has a whole room of writers and she was still like pounding up more than everybody else like joke for joke like every five seconds she's working on special right now she's pregnant and it's her sixth one she podcasts she's like she's one of the hardest working comedians I've ever seen in my entire life it's and incredible. she's it's incredible and she's so funny and so nice so she gave me I'm gonna say the nicest intro I've ever had at the store 
uh, like a month ago. And she didn't know I had people from Netflix there watching me for something. And she gave me literally hands down the nicest intro I've ever had. I, I represented her for seven years and it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. I always tell anybody who will listen to me mm -hmm. that if I ever visualized anybody uh, in a shower with an iPhone in a Ziploc bag. Oh, yeah. It would be with me. Oh, yeah. She doesn't stop. Her mind literally doesn't stop. And she's like so hardworking. And then she loves animals at the same time. There's like, she, there's nothing she doesn't do. It's crazy. She's like all these foster dogs running around. Like, it's it's insane. Your proudest moment in show business. Opening up for Bill Burr at the Scotiabank Arena in Toronto. It's the biggest arena I've ever done. 19,000 seat arena, two shows in a row. Uh, hometown hometown it was like i've never felt more proud of my life my sister and my dad came to watch me the first show and the second show like all my good friends from toronto came and we all after the show we just went outside while people were just like coming out and we all just started bawling our eyes out oh my god it was insane and like just going like going on and seeing and like i killed so i was like seeing that many people just i i i've never i've never felt that and i don't know if i ever could again unless it's like my own arena but like i looked over and saw like my sister and my dad like crying watching me and then i looked over and i saw like bill smiling and i'm like i'm like bill's watching what the hell is he doing watching me like that was an insane moment hearing my name hearing the cheers getting off like it was it was crazy then bill going up and being like keep going for staff and them just like losing their minds it was it was really nothing has compared to that for sure awesome yeah i lied because i have a follow-up okay <laughs> this is another thing that is really i think challenging psychologically for artists you go, you do two shows in one night, probably they're in a row, whatever. There's like 40,000 people you work mm -hmm. for. Because I, I went through this when I, I used to rep represent Dane Cook and he was doing those huge arenas. And it was like, I'm always thinking to myself, like, how does an artist do this and then go back to LA and work out their shit at the Laugh Factory? Like, mm -hmm. how psychologically do you do you go back after a gig like that and go into a place where there's like 80 people and say, Hey, yeah, I'm going to give you everything I got. I literally did that right after this. So I did, I did two shows at the Scotiabank, bank. And then the next day I did the comedy bar, which is like one of my favorite, it's my favorite location in Toronto. And it's like a 150 seat theater. And I sold out two shows, but it was like, well, <laughs> here I am in a basement with a, a pipe dripping on my fucking head. Like it really does. It snaps you back to reality, but it's like, you know, going on to these theater shows, you know, that's not like, I know it's not my life right now. So I'm like, I know that's not my life. So it just, it was, I was such a grateful moment for me to just take that in and like, keep that. Like anytime I get upset about something or I get trolled online or something, I just picture that moment. And I like, it really helps like reset me into like, remind me that I'm doing well and I'm on the same path, whatever, or the right path. But it is, it is a mind fuck. Tell me something that happened to you that was the worst thing that happened to you in show business, kicked the shit out of you, and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level. The biggest diss or the biggest bad thing that happened to you. The biggest bad thing, huh? Um... Hmm. I get. I mean. I guess it's like. I, I guess it's like a big. Okay. I guess I'll say I did like a a big. There's this big uh, Sirius XM competition in Canada, 
So it's like, it's it was $10,000. You had to like audition, you had to send a tape in to get the audition. You had to audition, you had to get top three. You had to, at the top three, you had to go online and do this. This is right before social media was kicking off. So I ended up getting in. I ended up getting, I was one of the only women to make it to the round of like putting like, so I went crazy online. I, I went through, I think I sent an individual message to like over, I'm gonna say 3,000 people asking them to vote for me in this thing. I went crazy. I was like using my parents for videos. I found old photos of myself. I was like photoshopping when I didn't even know how to use Photoshop. I get to the final show, um, only woman out of eight, and uh, I don't even come top three. And I thought I won. Like everyone thought I won. Like my manager ended up taking, um, at the time he took my beer out of my hand and he's like, congratulations, you deserve this. And I literally was about to walk on stage and they're like, from Montreal. And I was like, I'm not from Montreal. Um, and I ended up losing $10,000, becoming very upset that night, uncontrollably crying, uh, getting told that I ruined my career in Canada, that I was a f***ing loser, everyone's making fun of me. I had to, the person who's running Just Last at the time had contacted my manager saying that I was an embarrassment and I had to apologize to all these comedians. So I did Andy Kindler's alternative show that night and I brought my friend with me. I knew I was drunk, I knew I was upset. So I brought a good friend of mine who's from my, uh, my best friend from grade five, who I know she would have told me if I was out of line. So I go backstage, it's Nikki Glacier, Fortune Feimster, um, who else was there? A couple of Canadians and I and, and Kindler. I go up pretty half in the bag, pretty upset. I go to the comedy bar that night. I end up getting more upset. It's the whole thing. Next morning, I wake up to my manager being like, what the fuck did you do last night? You owe all these people an apology. You're a fuck embarrassment. I was like, what the fuck? So I literally DM'd, I've had these DMs, it's so embarrassing, Nikki, Fortune, and Adam from literally eight years ago, me apologizing to them. I remember Kindler wrote me back going, what are you talking about? I'm like, I was told I was super inappropriate at your show last night. I'm really sorry. He's like, you came, you killed, you left. That's what I remember. And I was like, and now I was even more embarrassed that they made me do this whole thing when I was like, now I look psychotic messaging these comedians. And even Fortune was like, you were fine. Thanks for messaging me. Like I felt, I looked stupid. And then I was like, oh, I have to move to LA now. And these people think I'm a f***ing psychopath. And then I didn't get both to Just for Laughs for a very long time after that. Um, and again, I lost $10,000. That's how much my visa, uh, my green card cost. So I was like uh, super in the hole and I had to work a bunch of extra jobs to get that money. Um, and the person who won, I just still to this day don't think should have won. I, I heard they had child alimony to pay uh, and I'll never get over it. And everyone else who was there was like, well, how did that person win? Um, that was probably the biggest because it was like it affected my like just for laughs career for a long time and it affected um, a lot of people like judging me and saying I was really like a drunk piece of shit. And, I don't think it was. <laughs> I was definitely, I probably shouldn't have cried that much, but I was like, I was super upset and I worked so hard. And I think I had the best out of the night still. And I was the only woman. So yeah, that was back. That was back when uh, nobody cared <laughs> for the diversity hires. They were just like, three white guys. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that seems fair. Let's give it to three white guys. Anyways, that was probably, that, that hit me the hardest. I lied again. I have another oh, question God. for Wes. <laughs> so many follow-ups. I'm so sorry. You mentioned something that I, I fascinated me that I didn't expect from you. You said, I was nervous before I went on after Andrew Santino. Mm -hmm. And I picture as a, you as a person right now having no fear. And I think that's what feels like why uh, you're enjoying this trajectory which is going to keep going until you do those arenas 
is that you're fearless. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you say that you still feel some anxiety from following people shocks me. Is it something that is very, very minimal in your life or do you use fear to help drive you? I think it's minimal and it's, it's a weird, like it's not so much fear as it is like just blowing way more smoke under my ass where I'm like, I feel like I have to show myself. I think so. I think after like, when I go back to people like him or Bobby, I like bring it even harder. Cause I'm like, Oh, I really gotta, I really gotta show these people who's boss now. And I, I don't know why, especially because I'm not as big as them. I feel like I really have to prove myself still all the time. But I think it's, I think that helps me be more fearless on stage when I go up after them. Got it. Last question. Okay. We're ready. <laughs> God. What advice do you have to the people listening out there who start in a small town or a big town somewhere and they have a dollar and a dream, mm -hmm. but they don't have the roadmap to where they're supposed to go and, and how do they figure things out? and work through it and get to the point of having the kind of amazing career that you're having. Um, I don't want to say the cheesy, don't give up. But I feel like honestly, you're going to, it's, it's not an easy road is what it is. Is you have to, you have to know deep down that you're going to have either no life for a long time or no money. I had no money for so long. I worked as a waitress like my whole life. Like I had no money for so long. I was working three jobs at one time when I moved out here, I was under the table babysitting. I worked two catering jobs that were horrendous and another, uh, I cleaned Airbnbs. Um, you have to know deep down that you want this so badly and you have to know that you're going to be treated like for a long time and it's going to be so hard um and you have to try as hard as you can you literally like there's no if you're tired one night sorry i'm tired i do like i literally when i moved out of here i didn't have a car i would bike to the comedy store to try to get on the, on the thing or the improv i would bike literally 45 minutes to and from knock it on get back on my bike like it was insane you have to work harder than you think you have to work and you have to put in more time than you think you have to and it's it's you have to literally give i gave up everything like i gave up my i left all my friends and family in toronto moved out here i lived on a couch my friend's couch for three months like a slob like you have to literally be able to give up everything you love to follow this psychotic dream you have it's hard it's hard but when it starts to work out it's good <laughs> i'm crazy I'm, I'm i'm absolutely insane it's you're, fine i have to go edit three videos right now um you're perfect the way you are <laughs> listen i want to tell you you don't you don't know me from adam i came up to you in montreal i never came up to you before in my <laughs> life you came and did this show uh and you didn't have to do it and I'm honored that you did because I do this because I want to make a difference for people watching. And you made a huge, I huge hope I did to that. You, you, you did incredible. Well, thank it you. It was amazing. And I'm well, so grateful. Can these people follow my podcast? If you like podcasts so much, please listen to Steph Infection. It's a very, Bill burst on my podcast. It's a very gross podcast about body stuff. And follow me on Instagram, please. That's all I ask. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Yay. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. Cause you're going for 
Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business, I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever.